but I specifically wanted threat intelligence in the title, not only so that threat intelligence, um, you know, people who work in threat intelligence can relate to it and be excited about it, but also so that kids that read it that are not necessarily in a, you know, like a techie household, they can go home and ask their parents, like, what's threat intelligence? And it kind of makes them both go on that journey together. Like, I don't know, let's Google it. I'm George Comedy, and this is First Watch. Today's guest is Nicole Hoffman, AKA Threat Hunter Girl. She's a senior cybersecurity threat intelligence analyst and children's book author. As an InfoSec professional, Nicole is the creator of the Cognitive Stairways of Analysis Framework, and has spoken on this at a number of conferences. As an author, she's published The Mighty Threat Intelligence Warrior earlier this year and has a sequel already on the way, slated to drop later this year. Nicole Hoffman, welcome to First Watch. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. Yeah, so let's let's start uh, with the fact that you are a self-described comic book fan. Um, so it seems very appropriate to ask you for your cybersecurity origin story and how that led to your hero name, uh, which maybe more people know you by, which is Threat Hunter Girl. I absolutely love that you called it a hero name, <laughs> um, especially uh, like getting into like the, the the book and stuff. My kids always call me like the mighty warrior and stuff. So I love that. So uh, this is something people sometimes get confused about because my handle that I chose is threat hunter girl, but I work in threat intelligence. And it's because when I first got into uh, cybersecurity, the first job that I landed was an internship. Um, and we were, it was at a software company and we were specifically doing like threat, um, threat emulation and threat hunting to try to create more uh, behavioral based uh, detection playbooks versus just more like mm -hmm. signature based and things like that. I was not very good at it, but I was fully in, in uh, developed into like everything threat hunting. And that's about the time period that I joined Twitter. And so that is kind of the handle that I chose because I was like, I'll just do something simple like threat hunter girl. Uh, yeah. Eventually I got into cyber threat intelligence, but at that point I had already had a blog and things like that. So I was like, I'm just going to stick to it because even though I'm not hunting threats internal to the firewall. I'm still technically hunting threats external out in the open, the out in the open webs. Yes. Let's, yeah, let's make sure we don't get hung up too much on the terminology, given that the role of uh, CTI is still very much in a, in a hunting capacity, especially um, post incident or, or just even post, I guess, signal that something is awry in the network. Yes, 100%. Um, well, so I think it's clear um, that you're a creator, as I, I said in the email back and forth to you, and I, I don't want that to come across as the sort of YouTube vernacular, but you clearly have a need to create. Um, you're prolific in speaking, in writing on your blog. You created the Cognitive Stairways of Analysis Framework, which is incredibly impressive as as uh, in your SANS talk, you talk through all of the frameworks that you went through before building it. And now, not one, but two children's books. And we'll get to the books uh, in a second. But I want to give you some space to talk about these two sides, the analyst by day, the creative and the other hours. And if you could tell us how they work together 
inside you. I think this is a perfect illustration of how every human has multiple sides. I, I don't really cotton to the left brain, right brain kind of dichotomy. And I think this is a, a really good example of that. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great question. So I'll kind of give like a, a backstory that uh, kind of leads into it. So when I was in high school, uh, my main goal was to be a journalist. I was obsessed with writing. I had goals of becoming an author one day, but it didn't end up working out because, you know, if you know any journalists or the path to becoming a journalist, it is a struggle. Um, it's kind of like a starving artist uh, stage that I didn't go through. But when I found CTI and realized that I can have that outlet of, you know, finding the story, finding the trends, finding the news that kind of played into that. Um, and in 2020, I was working at a startup and we were planning on going to market right as the pandemic started. And perfect timing. perfect timing. I had just purchased a new house. I had two kids. I was very concerned about not only, you know, the struggles that came with the pandemic, but just being unemployed and not being able to find another job. So that's when Absolutely. I started my uh, blog and I started doing conference talks. And it was more like me trying to market myself as much as possible so that in the event that I was furloughed or needed to get another job, I could. That did end up happening and it, it did benefit me. I was able to find work uh, pretty quickly. But as I went through the process of, you know, updating my blog and finding new stories, it became like a hobby. It was like a, mm -hmm. a part of me that I got to took or I got to take with me. No matter what job I go to, it's it's always going to be mine. I get to make all of the decisions and that's something that I really love. And so I just kept doing it even after I was employed. And the Cognitive Stairways of Analysis was actually started as a blog. I wanted to write a blog about the analytic tradecraft and try to help people understand, you know, how to do it versus just assuming that everyone knows what, you know, how do you analyze data? Um, I personally have ADHD. And so I just like to know how everything works before I do it. And mm -hmm. I don't like to assume that everybody thinks the same way. Um, and so that's kind of how I got started. And I didn't like a lot of the frameworks that were for analysis in cybersecurity or threat intelligence because I felt like they were so vague. And so that's how I was like, well, you know, how do doctors do it? How do scientists do it? And that's, I pulled, you know, all of these things that I really loved from each one. And I was like, well, I have all these steps. I might as well put them in order. And it's benefited me a lot in my job. And so that's why I released it. And I've tried to work on like new stairways to help people with like their specific uh, and analytic steps that they go through in their job, whether they're in Intel or they're on blue team or, even like, I'm sure there's some red team um, use for it as well. Um, and so that's kind of how, how all of that started. Um, and I think my ADHD side really enjoys the challenge of threat intelligence because I get to like solve puzzles and figure out things and explain things and figure out how they work so I can tell people. And then you know, all the things that I want to nerd out about, I could do after hours and blogs or podcasts or things like that. So that's, I think that's, it's kind of a happy balance that I have. 
Yeah, and I think the the analysis piece is important because um, it's a word that gets used a lot, not just in cybersecurity. And I think we all take it for granted, but you you do realize at some point in your education, or maybe not, that at some point someone had to teach you kind of like, what did they mean by research? What did they mean by analysis? But cyber threat intelligence is a very specific type of analysis. It's not like the open-ended library research that you're working on in university. So I just think that's really cool that you took the time to like take a word again that we take for granted and build a methodology around it. Um, so I want to turn now to the books, right? So you're the author of The Mighty Threat Intelligence Warrior, and now the next book in the series, which I believe is um, slated to drop toward the end of this year, maybe in the December time period. So uh, we've spoken about how you took up the blog, uh, how you took up conference speaking, how you had tackled the analysis framework, and now on this fully creative side, um, how did you come to that? What was the compelling event uh, that that made you put pen to paper? Yeah, so I have several manuscripts of books that are not children's books, like mostly sci-fi uh, oh, <laughs> things. And I always, I think it's uh, part of the issue with ADHD is like, once I lose interest in something or if I find something more interesting, it's extremely difficult to finish. And so I've never been able to finish anything. The children's book actually was inspired by another book. My kids had a, a scholastic fair at school and they came home uh, with a book called The Legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an adorable book. It has like a little rock guy, a little scissors and a little uh, paper. And it's like their epic battle and how they became, you know, to like despise each other and battle forever. <laughs> And so I kept thinking to myself, man, this is just, it's so cheesy, but so amazing. And it would be so cool if it was something related to cybersecurity, if it was like, mm -hmm. you know, a cyber defender fighting against like ransomware actors. And then I kind of just went into like hyper-focus mode and it was really writing it just as something to share with my kids. I thought it would be something that they mm -hmm. would really enjoy. And then I started researching I finished it within, I think, a day, and then I had some people like peer review it, and there was obviously a lot of drafts after that. Um, I went down the road of like, well, I finished it, and I haven't finished anything, so I got to get this published somehow. I went down the road of trying to get it published, and it's extremely hard to to go mm -hmm. to like a publisher. They want you to go get like a literary agent, and you have to do all this like market research. And I did a lot of that, which helped me, but I still wasn't making any progress. And so I just decided to publish it myself. So I created my own publishing company, uh, published it, and my kids were so happy <laughs> because, uh, you know, they get to bring it to school. They're actually in the book at the end, right. not to That's not right. to give it away, but so... They really enjoyed it. They enjoyed planning the illustrations and things like that. We hired an illustrator, but they really liked the, the planning process and they loved brainstorming with me for new books and things like that. Yeah, I think the challenge, uh, and it is pulled off very deftly here, is, is how to illustrate the concepts that you want to tackle within threat intelligence in this case, or you know, essentially an intrusion into a network, but you're trying to do it in a 
medieval village and make it analogous in a way that you know helps people understand i don't want to give too much away in the book it's well worth the read um i was sharing before we were recording that it arrived recently and i could not get it away from my kids um but uh i think it's great because that analogy opens up a lot of conversations right like i don't have to talk about network packets with the kid but you can you can start to talk about like what does it mean when somebody sneaks into a safe environment or they take the things that you need to do your work you know how would somebody go and and find out how they got in or 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 what was the the threat um so i don't want to give too much away about that but um could you give us a brief synopsis of the second book because uh, the title is um, Jasper's Chance for readers who haven't gotten to it yet. Jasper is the name of the uh, Mighty Threat Intelligence Warrior's cat, um, who is adorable. Yes, and I will say just to touch on what what you had stated about like making it so that kids are interested. The first draft was not as digestible as the final draft. <laughs> That's where the peer review comes <laughs> yes. in. The first draft was very like in your face, like you know, she had a, 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 a cloak and it was called a VPN. And a, a lot of my friends that helped me peer review it were like, that's just not digestible. And I feel like it's too in your face. And so I completely switched it so that it's very digestible and um, also relates to other fields in cybersecurity, not just threat intelligence. It's also like mm -hmm. just blue teaming, red teaming, things like that. So the second one is, is uh, Jasper's second chance. And Jasper is the cat. He's not named in the first one, but in the second one, he gets introduced and he's actually the Mighty Warrior's apprentice. So he's been uh, learning and studying and, and trying to wait to be, you know, to help save the villages from all the menacing foes and things like that. Um, so with this one, he's going to go on his first solo adventure and everything does not go as planned. And there is going to be a time crunch to make sure everything goes right. He's going to have a moral decision to make and Will they have time to save the day or will everything go wrong? I don't know. You will have to read it. Right. I'm <laughs> hoping to publish on December 1st if all goes well. Well, at, at this rate, my kids will devour it and then immediately demand the sequel. So you're, you're setting a dangerous precedent for the pace at which you publish these things. Um, I So you brought up a good point about the feedback that you got. Did you have any... Um, interesting experiences trying to translate what you wanted intentionally through the illustrations to an illustrator who I presume doesn't have a necessarily a cybersecurity background. She does not. She does not have a background. Um, I think she has a background like somewhat in graphic design. So I think she has a, a tiny peek into the tech space, but mm -hmm. overall, um, what I did was provided a bunch of notes as kind of the things I was looking for. Um, I think the biggest challenge was the, in the mighty warriors office. I wanted it to seem relatable to me. And I have a lot of like in my office, like, you know, I have like the neon lights everywhere mm -hmm. and, or the led lights. And I wanted there to be like cables. And so I kind of told her like, think like, of you know, a, a rave mixed with, like a mad scientist lab. And 
I was like, I know it sounds weird. And I gave her a bunch of pictures and she just killed it. I mean, and she, she put neon lights. You'll see throughout the book, this one and the second one, there's little neon lights all throughout the castle that she lives in. Just, oh, just little bits that you have to, have to notice. And, it. and it's, it's not too much. It's just enough that it's just, it's perfect. And she just kills it every time. Like uh, the cover, she, that was her first go at the cover that, that, and it was already perfect. So she's just really good at what she does. And I think she really brought it to life. Great. Um, yeah, I, there's a whole sort of thread on LinkedIn of, you know, uh, red teamers and CTI specialists doing shots of the home office. And yes, they in invariably have multiple screens, lots of led lights, uh, lots of lit keyboards, um, so I think she captured that quite well. Um, so what are you hoping uh, that your readers outside the fam, um, maybe even outside of cybersecurity circles would take away? My goal for the series um, is really just letting kids know that there are a lot of jobs in STEM that's not necessarily all science or um all coding because there's a lot mm -hmm. of like kids sure. who code girls who code yeah. and that's awesome but not everyone's interested in coding and so i want to just bring light to other parts of uh technology and that there's other types of jobs and that i always when i read it to classrooms i always like to tell kids like you could be a professional hacker and mm -hmm. <laughs> they have no idea that that's even a real job i'm like yeah and i you know always tell my kids like they love the podcast darknet diaries and they, they're like, they can't believe that you can get paid for like breaking into a building, <laughs> yeah. things like that. So that's really, I'm just trying to inspire kids to just get interested in cybersecurity. I think you bring up a good point. Uh, I've heard it brought up before, um, and especially on um, um, recruiting forums, especially on LinkedIn, where people are trying to break in and they, you know, they've heard cybersecurity is a good profession. They're trying to change, you know, the financial trajectory of their life, which is a very real issue, but they may be intimidated by, you know, the per perception that it is highly tech oriented, come in with a lot of code. Um, I don't know this language. I don't know that language. And I, I think broadly across STEM that, that may also be, there are sort of all these roles inside of um, that broad category. So I think you bring up a good point that it's important for um, a lot of people to realize that there are there are more than enough roles in cybersecurity that need filling that don't necessarily require Python or or any other coding language. One hundred percent. I actually mentor people all the time that are switching from other industries, and I and they always think that oh, I need to go get, you know, multiple degrees and I need to go get mm -hmm. all of these certifications. And the number one thing I hear is, oh, I need to get like my cert certified ethical hacker and my pen test plus. And it's like, well, what do you want to do? Right. Because, like first you need to figure out like, what do you need to do? Like start talking to people, like start looking at jobs because otherwise you're just going to waste all your time and money studying and getting things that you don't necessarily need. Yeah. And it's not an insignificant amount of money or no, not at all required to study for those certs. So, uh, for sure. Um, I want to circle back around in your blog, you write about 
how you got into cyber and you, you briefly touched on journalism. I saw that you had studied psychology, um, even maybe a little bit of neurology. Um, I think that goes hand in hand with threat intelligence, but you, you did also talk about having ADHD, which you write about having come to that diagnosis much later than I think most people, uh, talk about that. And so interested to hear how that kind of reframed things for you? Did it make things clearer? Uh, it seems to have informed your approach to the cognitive stairways of analysis, like why you would need to go define that or break it down into a uh, subgroup. So just curious to understand a little bit more about that part of your story. Yeah, so I always correlated ADHD with just hyperactive mm -hmm. and I was never super hyperactive, although I fidget all the time, but it was actually a uh, YouTube video that I had watched from someone I follow, and they were talking about like ADHD life hacks, and I just related to every single one, and so <laughs> I was like, uh, I had never thought about it, so I talked to my doctor, and yeah, sure enough, she was very uh, certain that I did indeed have it, and I started... Um, taking medication and it changed my entire life. I was able to finish things. I was able to focus. I used to have what I thought were severe sinus headaches for probably mm. about 10 years of my life. I was always on antibiotics. I was always on every kind of allergy medication. Um, it wasn't until I started taking um, ADHD medication that it all stopped. And I talked to my doctor and found out that I was actually having migraines that were caused by ADHD. And it was basically like, I was trying to force myself to like do certain things that I may or may not have been interested in. And it just caused like massive migraines. Wow. And so then I was just kind of sad at first because, you know, I had basically <laughs> wasted 10 years of my life taking, you know, suffering and taking all this medication. But, um, since I, started taking the medication. And since I started learning more about ADHD, I was really able to just kind of focus all of my energy on things that I'm passionate about. And I've had like certain hacks of how to do things that maybe are not the most interesting tasks, but mm -hmm. you know, need to get done. Um, and it's benefited, I think my whole family, uh, not just myself. And then I actually, um, I did speak to a neurologist because I was concerned about the, um, migraines and a couple other, um, I've talked to psychologists. I went through this whole process and I actually found out I'm also autistic. Hmm. So I also got a secondary diagnosis and a lot of it made a lot of sense, uh, because there's certain things that I just don't understand. Like I, I don't really understand metaphors that easily. I have to really research it and try to understand. Like when people say, Oh, just bite the bullet. I, I don't under, why would you bite a bullet? <laughs> Um, I don't understand when people make assumptions. Uh, I don't understand a lot of sarcasm. And I just kind of assumed it was just the way I was raised, or maybe I just wasn't exposed to it um, as much. But I think it's it's been beneficial because the way that I like to do things, like if, if I'm going to write a report on a certain vulnerability, like there was this new uh, gift shell exploit yes. chain. Yeah. In order for me to write about it, I need to learn how to explain it to my five-year-old basically, because that's yeah. how I learn, And it's beneficial for Intel because then I can explain it to non-technical audiences. Um, and it just, 
it's beneficial all around. So I think beforehand I would kind of get distracted and not, you know, have the, the passion to kind of do it or, um, not really know where to focus things. Or I also had a lot of like, not, I wouldn't say anger management, but I would say like sensory overload. Like if For the sure. TV was on and the kids were screaming and then someone's calling me, it was just too much to handle. And I would just shut down and not accomplish a lot. Whereas now if I'm, you know, fully medicated, there could be like fireworks going on outside. My dogs could be barking and I'm just in the zone searching the web for <laughs> threats. So it's, it's changed my life for sure. Well, I think that that brings up a good point about reframing, right? Because thinking that you're sickly for 10 years and going to the doctor for one type of medicine and then discovering the the nature of it is completely different. I think gave you the power to, you know, leverage it in a different way to learn how to to manage it in a different way. It's just like the awareness of mind. If you don't have that, it's incredibly difficult. You would just be running up against a wall trying to figure out yourself, right? Like, why is this this way? Um, I, I feel like there's a metaphor in here for threat intelligence and forensic analysis. I, I won't push it too far. But <laughs> I think it's there. Um, and so I guess I want to sort of round home here. And uh, as you look to the future, um, what are you looking forward to? Or do you see uh, more of this series spinning out? Is it, is it sort of being spun out real time as you tell stories to your kids? Um, now that uh, business travel has kind of picked up again, are you going back out on the, the speaking circuit? What's, what's um, got the creative juices flowing uh, for the future? Yes, I have been taking a break from speaking for quite a while. I kind of miss it just because mm -hmm. I really enjoy the camaraderie of like the, the companies that like put on the, the um, conferences and, you know, you get to meet a lot of new speakers and friendships that, that come out of that. But I also have my own podcast now and with my husband and I, you know, I'm working full time and I'm also doing a podcast at work, which requires, you know, certain types of planning and then also writing books. The, the books I'm kind of just continuously writing <laughs> because I want them to come out, um, you know, consecutively and the illustration process takes about six to eight months. Mm -hmm. So, and my kids really, really love to brainstorm with me for the books and they like to come up with new characters. And I feel like, there's like a certain, not like guilt, but like um, there's like pressure to continuously keep hustling, keep doing new talks and <laughs> yes. things like that. And uh, something Katie Nichols always says that resonates with me is there's always a sacrifice. And, you know, if I focus on doing talks then I might sacrifice time with my kids, but I am kind of at that point now where I'm kind of hungry for a new research project that could potentially turn into a talk. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think I'm probably going to be doing that as we get into uh, winter. The series is definitely going to continue. My goal for that as well is I would love to create a side series or multiple side series of, you know, the mighty, you know, blue team or, you know, mighty yeah. pen test, like whatever it's going to be. Um, and maybe work with someone in the field that does that role. Um, because it will just 
continue showing all of the little niche fields inside cybersecurity that might interest kids. All right, pen testers, you heard it here first. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, thank you again for the time. That is an incredibly busy agenda uh, and, and working from home as most of us are sort of compounds it because there's no commute. There's the commute from one room to the next and the activities will sort of all stay inside our head. But um, the book is The Mighty Threat Intelligence Warrior, which is out. It's brilliant, available on Amazon. Uh, the second book is out later this year. Everyone stay tuned. Um, and you can follow Nicole at Threat Hunter Girl and on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your time, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. That's it for First Watch today. Many thanks to my guest, Nicole Hoffman. To hear more interviews with leaders and more spotlight episodes on cybersecurity newcomers, subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber with original music by Matias Cefaletti and production help from Jamil Mafi. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.